0: you survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with a Gun Show. This week, episode number 433, we talk about arming pastors. New times call for new decisions. And what a week it was. I had some serious media attention. do will talk about that. David Cole, his article at blackmanwithagun.com on Charleston answers a lot of questions, makes a lot of sense, and you got to hear it or read it for yourself. This show is sponsored by people like you. Thank you so much for being a Patreon member. If you're ready, let's do this thing. Boom, 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 boom. This is the Black Man with the Gun Show. Pro Gun Podcast. And I'm your host, Ken Blanchard. All right, well, welcome back to the fun Fill factual, and low-fat episode with no growth hormones the black man with the gun show baby I thought this was a wrap I almost threw down my gauntlet and said you know I'm out but you said no so I'm back after John Wayne leaves us in a pledge of allegiance we're going to talk about uh, Charleston, South Carolina the media attention that I received as a result and let you hear from some sponsors that sponsored this show you know, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for you. Thank you for joining me on Facebook, on my website, BlanchardMediaGroup.com, on the BlackManWithTheGun.com website. All right. Hit it, J-Dub.
1: I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God. Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.
0: 433 episodes in, I'm still the new guy on the block. You know, I thought my use of my trademark alter ego, the black man with the gun, was finished. I really did. You know, back in 1986, I was on the range, and I had an idea that, Maybe I could be the guy who comes up and hangs out at the gun ranges, the gun shows, the gun stores. And if a person of color, a black person, an African-American person in my community was buying a new firearm for their family, for self-defense, for recreation, and they had a question, I would be that guy. They'd call, and I'd come over, and we'd have a Tupperware party for the most part. We'd share and show and tell, and I would take them out to the range and bring their family It'd be a family friendly thing and all would be well in the world there would be no more accidental shootings of children finding firearms unsecured in the household, there'd be no more there'd be less um, guns lost on the streets security would be at the utmost life would be good, life would be better what I found out though is that the people who I was trying to serve didn't want a firearms instructor in their neighborhood. They were offended by it, actually. How dare I be pro-gun and black? I thought, wow. Talk about not knowing your own people. 1986. 1987, I evolved into a business that was certifying law enforcement, qualifying them for armed duty, helping those who were in security guard companies pass their tests. A lot of folks just wanted to qualify. They didn't care about marksmanship or safety or anything. They just wanted to have somebody sign their card so they could go back to duty and make money. So don't post somewhere and not shoot themselves in the leg while they're doing it. I got my feelings hurt on that one. I didn't want to just sign a card. I didn't just want to fill out a blank. I didn't want to just be that guy that, give me some money and I will do your creds for you so that you can go back on duty. I have an issue with that. So after failing a couple of students and the word got out that he wasn't going to just give me a cred, my GSA, my Maryland State, my D.C. government, my special police firearms credentials, as an instructor, it was for nothing. I was frustrated. What's a brother to do? So I invested in just trying to find out who was in this gun range thing, who was in the business of making money. I actually uh, looked into joining with the forces with a guy who was teaching firearms as well. And he knew about a range that was going up for sale. So I thought maybe I could buy a range. It could be pretty huge down in Waldorf, Maryland. Range was going up for sale. So I had some investors, had some people who knew a lot more about business and money than me. Check it out for me. Look into some stuff. And they came back and said, dude, that is a money pit. OSHA will probably shut it down before we can get the loan. I learned all about the hazards of being a range owner, how insurance is more expensive than the rounds that are fired, how cleanup is more expensive than the retail stuff that you do. It's amazing on the liabilities and stuff that go into a range, and this one was in bad shape. So we passed, and I let that dream go. Around 1991, stumbled into an NRA meeting, annual meeting of directors, and learned about the history. Of gun control. Blew my mind. Had two white guys. Tell me about the deacons of defense. And justice. Had two white guys tell me about. The civil rights march. Had two white guys. Tell me about Dr. Martin Luther King. Had two white guys talk about. Black cowboys. Had one white guy tell me about. Ossian Sweet. In Michigan. Dr. Ossian Sweet. That I had never heard of before in my life. Talk about being ashamed. Good, googly moogly. So I became obsessed with history. I became obsessed with pulling out those threads of those little known black history facts that I call American history now. And then I ran into some professors, some really educated brothers, uh, Dr. Robert Cottrell and Nicholas Johnson, who wrote Negroes in the Gun just recently, The Black Tradition of Arms. The Second Amendment Foundation had brought those two right guys together and they had put together a paper. Something like the Afro-American consideration of the Second Amendment. It was like highbrow, talking 30,000 feet view of stuff. And the words they used were not what the layman would read. So I thought, if I just took some of this stuff and just made it simpler to understand, I could be a boss. And that's what I did. He gave them credit rolled with the Second Amendment Foundation, who took me and gave me even more information. They were the first to reach out after I had just walked into the National Rifle Association, and then I found out about the Law Enforcement Alliance of America, and we worked together with the NRA to pass concealed carry stuff all across the country. The black man with a gun, the trademark name now, was born around 1999. I use that controversial phrase in hopes to desensitize the fearful that gun ownership for African-Americans was not a bad thing. I had hoped that that would change things after a while. You know people would kind of get used to it. And right now, you would think it worked. There is a surge of black gun owners proudly professing their prowess and ownership of firearms on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all kinds of new websites. So I thought, hey, my work is done. But you know what? The brand isn't done. The black man with the gun has done so much good for the country, so much good for people, that when I said I was going to let it go, man, you can't believe the outrage. And that's not a bad thing. It's good when somebody tells you to keep on going, man. You know, you don't know unless you ask sometimes. So yeah, I'm internationally known as the black man with the gun. There was, uh, BBC came here one time, to film a documentary on a great writer, Charles Dickens. And just because they were coming through the area, they wanted to know about this guy known as the black man with the gun. And I'm in the middle of a, a documentary about the guy who wrote about Tiny Tim. I got a background in counterterrorism and police instruction. I'm a former U.S. Marine trained by the State Department and CIA. I was one of the first African-American members of that staff of instructors. I've been a columnist for a paper in Durham, North Carolina, director and chaplain of the Law Enforcement Alliance of America. I've lobbied and testified before the U.S. Congress, Texas, South Carolina, Wisconsin, Michigan, Virginia, and Maryland for an individual's right to self-defense. I was one time the recipient of the NRA's Carter Harlan Award for Civil Rights. Got awarded that bad boy in Phoenix, Arizona. To a standing ovation, applause, and a giant coliseum, me and my wife. It was amazing. And I'm currently right now on the training committee for the NRA. So after two decades of gun rights activism, I've been involved in almost every pro-rights event that involved a person of color. I've done commercials, audio stuff. Been in four documentaries, including that one from the BBC. Done pro gun commercials in Chicago, L.A., and Baltimore, and now this show, which rounds up its seven year. And folks are just finding out about me. Unbelievable, not a bad thing. It's just I. You think nobody knows or everybody knows and nobody cares, but I just realized today that for some stuff you're still a new guy. Every day you have to shave, no matter how good a job you did yesterday. It's the same. I'm a trusted influencer in the community. And I talk to a lot of the top people in the community. Been doing that since 91 and didn't think much of it. Sought after speaker and uh, not a bad podcaster. Having fun with that, thanks to you. You make, it, make me look like I'm doing something. You know, before, there was a Rick Hector and a uh, Coleon Noir, Argo J, Hank Strange, and Lola Strange. It was me. I've been podcasting since 2007. This show has been downloaded over 1.4 million times. I even got my own app, even though nobody uses it. The Urban Shooter app. There's anything special on it, but you can get the shows directly. And I produced this show from the basement of my house. And everything I have here has been donated for the most part by you, by my audience, by my friends. I have the best audience in the world. I wasn't quite sure how to end this thing because I thought I was done. I had heard all the arguments you can make. I have debated U.S. congressmen, state politicians, legislatures, Talk show hosts, celebrities, and pastors that didn't know or care about the history of gun control. I've been teaching history, sharing my experiences, and doing the best I can without real compensation. And that kind of wears a brother down. I'm in a niche for myself as the caring pistol-packing preacher and pastor of paladins, patriots, and pistoleros. And I feel more like an old Yoda dude is about to fade off into that blue light, you know, the force. But there are just so many new African-American YouTubers and Facebook group members and bloggers and forums. I'm no longer the black man with a gun. I'm just one of them. But I trademarked that bad boy about 2013, I think it was. Because I had been using it exclusively since 1991, per se. And when the book came out, The Black Man with a Gun, the first edition. And then the new one, the revised one, Reloaded, that came out in 2014. And this week, I had to postpone that retirement after that tragic event in Charleston, South Carolina, sparked a new debate on whether pastors should be armed. Although some are, the idea of an African-American clergy with guns has become a hot topic. I got a big old bump from some positive media coverage on Fox and Friends last Sunday and several radio show interviews this week. I've had one every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week. If you want to see my quick five minutes of fame, I have a link to the Fox and Friends interview. It'll be on the show notes for this episode, 433. I also shared it already on Facebook page and on Blanchard Media Group. But the link is here. There was a Washington Times article, Black Gun Rights Advocate Challenges Obama's Call. I know that's going to get me in trouble somewhere. That's one less breaching engagement around this area. On Tuesday, I was on Cam and Company, the NRA News. They always treat me well. And then a new guy popped up from Blog Talk Radio, Andre Traversa. And then on uh WBAL AM station here in Baltimore, Clarence Mitchell IV on the C4 radio show, got a chance to talk to him. I was on WBCM 680 AM talk show on Thursday, and then Friday I celebrated my 53rd birthday by working and doing nothing, actually. So the real, real question that's been posed a couple of times this week, should pastors be armed? Should places of worship remain gun-free zones? I want to talk about that after this. Being an armed citizen means having a gun with you all the time. Carrying a firearm every day requires a holster that is both concealable and comfortable. Whether you choose our Super Tuck Deluxe or Mini Tuck you'll have the confidence that comes from being discreetly and comfortably armed, prepared to face unforeseen dangers. Crossbreed holsters are handmade in the USA, come with a lifetime warranty and a two-week try-it-free guarantee. Order your holster today at CrossbreedHolsters.com. tac firearms accessories offers top quality innovative products to the shooting world with our sr5 bipod being one of our top sellers the sr5 bipod presents craftsmanship quality and ruggedness that never fails to impress all products are made in the usa and are built to improve the functionality of your weapon check us out now at www.accu-tac.com
1: a concealed firearm for self-defense are you prepared to survive prosecution by the criminal justice system join the armed citizen legal defense network and find out how you'll get legal help plus a series of educational dvds and a 235 page book to keep you informed for details go to armedcitizensnetwork.org that's armedcitizensnetwork.org This portion of the show is sponsored by American Built Arms Company. ABARMS.com is veteran-owned Type 07 U.S. manufacturer of firearms and firearm parts for the civilian, law enforcement, and defense industries. Arms' philosophy is built in the USA and build it better. Build it stronger because lives are on the line. Visit ABARMS.com.
0: All right, this article comes from David Cole. A contributor to the Black Man with a Gun blog. He writes So much has been written about the Charleston murders over the last week. I'm not sure I can add anything of value, but here goes. And he will not print the murderer's name here. Talking about the church massacre. I think that if there's one thing to take away from this incident in terms of gun rights it is that gun control laws failed in Charleston. Even As gun controllers seize on this as an opportunity to push their solutions, none of their solutions that they have shoved down our throats since 1934 did one single thing to prevent this horror. None of their ideas, to date, did a thing to stop this, and we are supposed to listen when they say they want to do more. Just stop it already. Background checks failed. Reports indicate that the killer went to a gun store operated by a federal firearms license, FFL, Holder, submitted to a background check by the FBI, and passed. There is still some debate as to whether or not the drug charge, which had been filed against a murderer a month earlier, was a felony or not, as anyone under felony indictment is prohibited from gun ownership by federal law. If he was under felony indictment, the background check itself failed to catch it, even if the drug charge was a misdemeanor. He would have been required to answer no to the question, are you an unlawful user of or addicted to marijuana, or any depressant, stimulant, narcotic drug, or any controlled substance, when completing the ATF Form 4473. News reports indicate that he was, in fact, a user of illegal drugs, so answering no to that question would have been a lie, itself a federal crime. Had he answered yes, the store would have disapproved the sale immediately. Who could have expected that a murderer would lie? The background check issued begets the discussion as to whether or not they should be stricter or should include private, non-FFL-conducted transactions. Stricter checks run the risk of further infringing on the rights of citizens who have done nothing wrong, and checks on private transactions is unenforceable without registration, and those are long, involved discussions but are left for another day. But there certainly is no evidence that background checks can prevent a committed murderer from acquiring a gun to carry out the act. I submit to you that anyone evil enough to plan for six months to commit such murders will not be deterred by any background check, however strict. Another darling of the gun control crowd is magazine capacity restrictions. In Charleston, it is not a legal issue as South Carolina does not restrict magazines based on capacity. Still, there is an important lesson here. The typical stated reason for magazine capacity limits is that it would somehow reduce the number of people a murderer is able to kill, as if there is a certain number of murders which are acceptable. But when we point out that in a simple matter for a killer to carry multiple magazines and reload, we are told that the pause for reloading would create an opportunity for someone, an unarmed someone, to take them down. Yet the Charleston murderer is reported to have paused to reload five times, and no one managed to do this. Could it be that taking down an armed mass murderer even while he is reloading, is not that easy after all. Even for a young, physically fit male, it would probably be extremely high-risk undertaking. The victims of Charleston were both male and female and ranged in age from 26 to 87. The expectation that such a group could simply take down a murderer with a gun is clearly unrealistic. The results speak for themselves. However, any one of those individuals could have shot him. They could have shot him if not for the fact that South Carolina law prohibits the carrying of firearm in the places of worship unless given explicit permission to do so. Anyone, including the 87-year-old woman who was killed that night, could have ended that atrocity with a gun of her own. But the Emmanuel AME Church was by law a so-called gun-free zone until the law was broken, and then it wasn't a gun-free zone anymore. Nothing and me more than the foolish idea that anyone willing to murder would so much as bat an eye at a gun-free zone sign. I'm sorry, but if you think such measures constitute an effective deterrent to violence, you are a fool. It is clearly evident to the most casual observed that gun control laws intended to prevent violence failed in, in Charleston, so now the solution is to take that which failed several times over and do it more, Insanity. All of those violated gun laws prevented nothing and only give us some relatively minor charges to tack onto the nine homicide charges the killer is already facing. Think he's really sweating those gun charges? How about we embrace what works an armed and energetic defense and make it more available? The utopian goal of prevention of violence is fantasy. There is no law. No combination of laws which can prevent violence 100% while preserving a free society. Even in a society which is decidedly not free, like prison, violence is still a major problem. I'll take my chances as a free man. Thank you. The problem is that while the vast majority of human beings are peaceful souls who would never deliberately hurt one another, there are those among us who are broken. There always will be. No gun control law will ever change the fact that those in the human family who do not respect the lives of others will find a way to assault, rape, and murder. As long as there are prey, there will be predators. In 2001, Michael Bain did a podcast in response to the murder of 77 people in Norway. His assessment of that incident is just as applicable to Charleston as it was in Norway, and I highly recommend that you give it a listen. There's a link to it. At BlackManWithTheGun.com forward slash Charleston at the bottom. To close, Dave says he would like you to revisit his concept of the four constants of spree killings. One, they happen in gun-free zones. Two, the killer is mentally ill. Three, somebody knew it. And four, the killer stops either surrendering or committing suicide when confronted with arm resistance. Thank you, David. This is from the blackmailthegun.com blog. And it's called Charleston.
1: Get the book that started it all. Black man with a gun reloaded. It's the story of a man who has helped change gun rights in America one heart at a time. It's a primer for the firearms enthusiast. And it's a fun read. It's the story of Ken Blanchard, host of Blanchard Outdoors. Get yours on Amazon.com or on the website at All
0: right, you probably heard the story before already of how the shooter walked into this church Ebenezer AME in Charleston, South Carolina, a historically black church, and shot nine people, killed nine people with a forty five that he either got from his father or bought from his birthday money. All right, let's just look at the stuff that we know, the stuff that gets glazed over. I've taught Bible class in an urban church late night many times. Let me tell you how it looks. It's quiet. Most of the church is dark. You have only one part of the sanctuary or the classroom lit. Maybe only a couple of doors open, but they are open to the public. As a church, you are hoping to do the work of God. You're hoping that your work will speak for itself. And those who are looking for answers, looking for study, looking for the word of God, looking for God himself will come. So the doors are open. There is no security, no magnetometers. There is nobody. And you are leading the class. You might have PowerPoint. You might have a lectern. It's just you and a few seats off to the side under a light. Very rarely is the whole church lit up because of cost. So you're having this class, and there's eight folks there tonight. They are the faithful. They're the usually ones who do a lot of stuff also in the church. They're the Sunday school teacher and the folks who have um, offices there, um, trustees and other ministers, and you're in a circle for the most part, people who are into learning. And you're having a good time. You're having a good conversation. And maybe you're talking about the Old or the New Testament. Maybe you're just talking about a subject. You're talking about maybe the difference between killing and murdering. The scripture delineates the distinction between the two. You shall not kill is actually not a command found in the Ten Commandments. The command from scripture in the original text actually says, Thou shalt not murder, Exodus 20, 13. The Hebrew word for murder literally means the intentional premeditated killing of another person with malice. Interesting, most of us are familiar with this definition of a murder because it is reflected in the penal codes of our country. Made me think of that California song. Penal code in California, 19, it was not 19, it was 187. A murder is the unlawful killing of a human being or a fetus with malice, a forethought. Code 187. And 187 popped in my head because of that old um, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg song. Remember that back in the 90s? You don't remember that. Sounds something like this. Big money, big paws, big body on his back, so it's never close to gate. But I got the hook up with somebody who knows how to get in contact with.
1: Him. Get him like this and like that. Let him know that I'm looking for a big fat dope sack. What is the spin so that's brushing if you want a to handle it tonight we'll discuss it. on a nigga stop and a nigga place take my scrap just in case one of us boys looking enough my face this is a threat cuz I'm on the cover yeah and you don't stop cuz it's one make heaven on the undercover car yeah and you don't stop cuz it's one make heaven on the undercover car Creep.
0: That just took you back right Now I got to put like a PG rating on this episode because of the N-word and some other stuff I try to edit out in that little bitty clip. But malice is a form of evil intent that separates murder from killing. Even today, there are acceptable forms of killing that lack this kind of evil intent. And these forms of killing exist as exceptions in the murder laws in the U.S. Penal Code Sections 187, 187, which meant he was trying to kill an undercover cop. A person kills somebody accidentally is an exception. If a person is trying to defend himself or herself to prevent his or her own murder, self-defense is an exception. Uh, what else is an exception? A person is trying to prevent somebody else from entering his or her house to commit some violent felony. Uh, in all these circumstances, it's protecting of the innocent. Killing is actually legal and justifiable. It's crazy, right? So we're teaching this thing. Exodus 21, Numbers 35, 22 through 25. Exodus 22, uh, 2 again. Exodus 2, 11 through 12. All to talk about taking people out. Yeah, it does. So we're having this discussion, right? And then this dude walks in. And of course, probably the senior saints, the older people, welcome this new guy. Because they're glad. Maybe their church is going to grow. You see there's only a small number of people who come to the, a lot of these historic churches. So the churches are huge and there's like nobody there. So they probably opened the Bible and said, hey, we're talking about uh, talking about this thing, this Exodus passage or this Numbers passage about killing and murder. Now I doubt if that happened, this one, because this kind of stuff never gets taught in Sunday school or Bible study for the most part, unless you're in my church. And I did that stuff and folks rolled their eyes and Wanted to get out of there. But that's a whole different story. I broke the rules. Told a lot of truth. Brought a lot of reality. And folks didn't like it too high. So this guy, this stranger, sits there and listens to the Bible study about the Holy Spirit and living a good life and how things are going to be great. And when he gets done, he figures, I've I've sat through enough of it. I'm going to Activate my six-month plan to start a race roar. He stands up, probably makes an announcement. Pulls his 45. You know he's having like a grand time right now because most killers, social paths, they all like to announce stuff before they shoot. Always, almost always. Unless they're mentally ill and then they do it without warning. They just kind of pop out of nowhere. But usually there's some grand statement. Even the Japanese did it when they about to dive in with the plane. What do they say? The kamikazes. How about the, the bombers? Allah Akbar. There's always some, some scream. Yeah. Well, what if right then the pastor saw the threat to his congregation, saw the threat to himself, pulled his concealed handgun and returned fire. Putting out the fire before it spread like a virus and takes everybody's life. What if one person in that congregation saw the threat, saw the firearm, couldn't out shoot him, but stopped him from hurting other people? All it takes is one. And we got that from Dave's article. The Old Testament, Exodus 22, 2. If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. A killing performed in the attempt to save a life of an innocent person is not murder. Just saying. And if you want to get a really good book that really deals with this thing, I want you to check out a book called A Time to Kill, The Myth of Christian Pacifism by Greg Hopkins. Greg is a friend of ours that you'll see on my Facebook page from time to time. A Time to Kill, you can find it on Amazon. It's a well-written book, has tons and tons of uh, things about self-defense, about pacifism, the real deal, about Christianity, and to untwist some stuff. A Time to Kill. Check it out on Amazon when you get a chance. Um, I had a chance to interview him back uh, last year, I believe, episode 300 and something. So uh, check the archives on Black Man with a Gun, and you'll be able to find that interview. Or just get that copy of that book for yourself. All right. About to sign off for this week. I want to let you know something, though, America, please. Please be wary of misdirection. Remember that scene from The Wizard of Oz when they get there and the guy is behind the curtain and Toto kind of pulls the curtain back and you can see the guy working all the levers and stuff. It's misdirection. It's uh illusion. They got scientific word for it. It's like the Helgean dialectic, a framework for guiding thoughts and actions into conflicts that lead to synthetic solutions which can only be introduced once those being manipulated take a side that will advance the predetermined agenda. That's some technical crap, right? It basically means, don't be duped. Too many of us are being spun up over trivial stuff and forgetting what still needs to be done. Freedom isn't free. We are shocked by our current events only because we thought we had reached the promised land. We have not. You know that our president is not the messiah. There is still hunger in America. There is still human trafficking. There are too many unemployed. There are too many homeless. Too much cancer, HIV, AIDS, drug addicted, and I can just go on and on. We have a lot of work to do, and I am so glad to be connected to you. Because the people who listen to this show are the best in America. Thank you for being here for me. Thank you for allowing me to be your friend and brother from another mother. The pastor of Patriots, Pistoleros, and Paladins. That guy on the microphone. I want to give a shout out to Rick Jansen in Delaware, who let me be on his show. To Andre Traversa from Let Me Home Blog Top Radio. for my friend Cam, from Cam and Company, and all the folks at NRA News. To my new friends at Fox News that uh, never disappoint. To my new friend Clarence Mitchell IV, C4 up in Baltimore, in his radio show. Thanks for letting me be on yours, man. And I can't forget to thank all those on my Facebook page. You guys are just giving me like a reason to keep going sometime. You just don't know. Appreciate you. Got a new show coming out, which I want to make it my best practices. I'm going to add all my stuff. See, Black the Gun Show doesn't talk about motorcycles or outdoor stuff or, I don't know, life. It does, but I'm gonna get down into it with the Ken Blanchard show. It's a part of my rebranding, um, just in case. Black man, the gun runs this course. Somebody else picks up the mantle or something else. I got some other stuff I want to share. It'll be in the Ken Blanchard show. It's based on. It's uh, still on iTunes. It'll be on Stitcher and Spreaker and all that as soon as I can get it there. You'll find it um, hosted at BlanchardMediaGroup.com do me a favor and subscribe to it today. Trying to up my numbers and see how many folks care. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of hard sometimes when you give so much of yourself and like nobody really cares. But this is what I do. If I can help you not make the same mistakes that I made, then I'm doing all right. All right. Until next week. Remember that when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a fellow turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though. The pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than. It seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up. When he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night came down. How close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint in the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It might be near when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when you're hardest hit. Is when things seem worse that you must not quit. And I'm preaching to myself, if to nobody else. All right, this concludes another week of us being together. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me at blackmanwithagun.com and all my sites on blanchardmediagroup.com. Until next week, shalom, baby.